Save 35% off restrictcontentpro.com using Matt Report at checkout. If you're looking to build a complete membership solution for WordPress, Restrict Content Pro has it all. Some of their great features like built-in Stripe integration, powerful reporting tools, and WooCommerce integration means you're making the right membership plugin choice for your client's WordPress website or your own. Get 13 of their official add-ons for free when you buy their personal plan, which will have you selling access to content, sending your leads to MailChimp, and all that added support from the Liquid Web family, the team behind Restrict Content Pro. Save 35% off RestrictContentPro.com using Matt Report at checkout. That's code MattReport at checkout to save 35% off at RestrictContentPro.com. Thanks for supporting the show. This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by Plugin Rank. Find Plugin Rank at PluginRank.com. It's the SEO tool for WordPress plugin developers with plugins on the WordPress repo. Monitor and track your plugin's performance in search results for the keywords you care about and, and track your competitor's performance as well. We use this tool at Castos to track our podcast plugin and it's fantastic. The biggest challenge we plugin makers have is having solid data on tracking our position in the repo. Well, that's not a problem anymore. Track your WordPress plugin performance and your competitors with Plugin Rank. Check out Plugin Rank at pluginrank.com. That's pluginrank.com. Thanks for supporting the show. It's all fun and games until the business starts to grow. And I mean really grow. From one to two people, two to 10, 10 to 50, these are the moments in your career that not only make or break the company, but deeply challenge yourself as a business owner. One of the reasons why I'm so personally attracted to creative agency offerings is because there are no rules, meaning you can provide whatever service you'd like, build any product you desire, and then sell it to any customer you're willing to chase down. But no rules also means no blueprint either. It's exciting, but potentially dangerous as you dodge some of the pitfalls that client service work can lead you down. Appearing on this very podcast three years ago to talk about her methodology to maximizing profits for website projects, Lisa Sabin-Wilson returns to share how her role as Web Dev Studios COO has expanded. How do you navigate a global pandemic for your customers and your employees, all while hitting record-setting revenues? Well, we'll find out in today's episode. You're listening to The Matt Report, a podcast for the resilient digital business builder. Subscribe to the newsletter at mattreport.com slash subscribe and follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Better yet, please share this episode on social media. We'd love more listeners around here. Okay, here's my conversation with my friend Lisa, who still thinks Brett Favre is a better quarterback than Tom Brady. The last three years uh, since I did the Matt Report last have been pretty explosive at Web Dev Studios in terms of our revenue, in terms of our size, in terms of the types of clients and things have just really changed and we feel really grown up now. When I think back to when I did the Matt Report and did revenue doesn't mean shit, like my brain at that point in time was really looking at our revenue versus our net and how to sort of make sure that we are as profitable as we can be on every single project that we do at WebDev, no matter how big, no matter how small. You can bring in a six-figure client, but it doesn't do you any good if you spend six figures doing their project. You end up with the project to show for it, but no profit to show for it. So 
that's where my mind was uh, three years ago was really figuring out how to really make sure that we're boosting our profitability and tracking everything that we need to be tracking from the time of sale all the way through to what the engineers are doing, how our QA process goes, the launch process, everything that we do on a project. So that's why I say that revenue doesn't mean shit if you're not profitable because you don't want to just work to work. You want to work to make a little money so that you can do whatever it is you 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 have on your mind, grow your company or buy a boat or <laughs> whatever whatever is tripping your trigger at the if correct me if i'm wrong if back then though 3 months uh, 3 years ago i kind of feel like there was a little bit of a crunch in the agency space at least i felt it talking to other agency owners i don't want to put words in your mouth but i i felt like Three, uh, just a mere three years ago, I felt like people were tightening up their belts a little bit in terms of clients spending money on on WordPress. And maybe we were all hyper-focused on making and maximizing those profits as much as we could back then. But I feel like, and maybe we'll get into this, especially because of COVID, there's mm-hmm. been a huge investment in online because brands were forced to. Is that a yeah. fair statement, a fair assessment of where it was three years ago? It was. And we were we were going up against, just from a WordPress agency standpoint, we were going up against the likes of Adobe AEM, Drupal, and corporations that were making decisions based on platforming. So it wasn't so much that clients were coming to us because they wanted WordPress. They're coming to us, clients, corporate clients, especially enterprise, are a lot more mature than that. They, they don't necessarily make a decision on the platform, but they're making a decision on how their product or project gets built and what features are available and what the cost is and how it's going to be supported after it launches and all of those factors. So yeah, there was a crunch in the agency space. It felt a little crowded (laughs) in the agency space as well, where it doesn't feel that way anymore. But we were were going up against a lot of A lot of Adobe three years ago, which is hard when you're a small agency and you go to a client to sell WordPress as the platform of choice. And then right after you, in comes Adobe and their team of marketers and salespeople and and they're they're big team and, and Adobe is very polished. They've got a great operation. So it's we lost a bit of projects to Adobe back then, but we're not seeing that a lot. Yeah. One of the things I've been covering a lot on this podcast has been the uh, resurgence of no-code tools. And when I have I had Mullenweg on recently and, and other people who have been in the space for a while, it's it's kind of laughable because WordPress literally was a no-code tool 20 years ago. But I guess you could say that about a lot of software building tools. Has there been anything surprising, any other up-and-coming CMS-type solutions that you've bumped up against? I know Webflow is just massive these days. Do, do you see anybody either leaving WordPress to go to another surprising tool? Or have you bumped up against new competition other than Adobe? No. No, I, I have actually not even bumped into Webflow at all. There have been some some people that would migrate off WordPress onto Drupal and vice versa. But recently, we've done two pretty large <clears throat> enterprise clients where one was a client who was already using WordPress as a secondary CMS and they were headless. So they wanted to go from headless, from this decoupled environment to doing it all in WordPress and putting a head on it. (laughs) 
for lack of a better phrase. So they didn't like the headless experience. At the same time, simultaneously, we were taking a client who was on WordPress as a CMS and implementing a headless environment with a decoupled architecture and decoupling WordPress from the front end completely. Those are the types of challenges that we're up against right now with WordPress is people making decisions on speed, performance, and that headless environment really, really boosts the speed and performance on a website. So the engineers, they're all brushing up on Next.js, Gatsby, Vue, React. When Matt Mullenweg said in the state of the word, and I don't know what year it was, learn JavaScript deeply, he was not kidding. And I'm not sure that this is what he had in mind when he said that, because I think what he had in mind when he said that was thinking more Gutenberg and building Gutenberg blocks and sort of that front end editing experience. Whereas our learning JavaScript deeply is really building out those headless experiences, decoupling WordPress from the architecture and building these React with Next.js environments on the front end. So maybe I'm wrong. How does that, maybe, how does that impact your hiring process and building a team? And what I'm thinking back to is the days of when we could all go to WordCamps and you'd see like the job board and everyone's looking for to hire people. Have you found yourself maybe not, and I know you have a lot of well-known developers that work for you that are in that are in the WordPress community with air quotes. I'm holding up air quotes right now, but has that changed the way that you've you've sourced employees and talent? It's like maybe we don't really need to be in this WordPress space. And in fact, we'd actually like somebody who's not with the WordPress blinders on, for lack of a better phrase. I think it's always going to be an advantage to have WordPress experience and an understanding of the data schema, an understanding of the REST API and just a basic understanding of, of just WordPress as a CMS, because that does seem to be the CMS of choice, even in a secondary CMS environment. That being said, yes, it has impacted the way that we hire because we're not necessarily looking for PHP engineers right now. We're looking for React devs, React and Next.js and Gatsby, those three items. And years ago, now I've been doing this for a long time, years ago, when I was running my own business, I'm a front-end dev and a designer by background. That's what I bring to the table from a, a tech standpoint. JavaScript was more advanced. Like, it wasn't front-end duty. It wasn't, like, front-end devs were templating and CSS and HTML markup and, and all of that stuff. And I'm talking, like, early 2000s. But now, if you're a front-end dev or a UX designer or anything like that, JavaScript is a requirement. Now, if you are just CSS, HTML, markup type of dev, we're not looking for that at all. We're really looking for those JavaScript chops. And so, yes, yeah. it has changed the way that we hire. And we prefer <clears throat> to build from within. So we do a lot of continuing education. We pay for a lot of courses for React and Gatsby and Next.js and all of that because we want to kind of grow our own, kind of like the way the Green Bay Packers grows quarterbacks. <laughs> we like to grow grow our bench as well. Yeah. I'm not gonna touch that one. I the you actually I mean you have to admit, I'm sorry, you can you have you can't stop there. You have <laughs> to admit that the Green Bay Packers, we have a quarterback edge, is all I'm gonna uh, say. 
Yeah. You took you took you answered one of the questions that I was that I was coming up here was how you actually leveled up your own staff because that's the thing is as these technologies change people are in these roles they're responsible for these certain types of technologies and even if it's I don't want to say just front end but if it's just HTML CSS everybody else is moving on everybody else is moving around them and they need to turn to learn JavaScript or other technologies yeah. uh, you mentioned that you do invest in the team is there a particular course or or training program you send folks to or ones that people could listen to this and say, you know what, if you want to learn JavaScript, this is a great resource. There are a lot of really good Gatsby React JavaScript courses out there. There's a lot that's on LinkedIn Learning. So we subscribe to LinkedIn Learning. We buy seats for all of our employees. And there's a lot of different types of, of learning on LinkedIn. But there are JavaScript courses there. There's JavaScript courses on Udemy. There's sometimes our engineers will bring us a conference or a webinar or training materials or something that they found that they thought would be helpful and they'd bring it to us and we'd agree to pay for it. It's just different different things that are out there. Our director of engineering, Greg Rickaby, is really good and really tuned in to all of that. So he's constantly bringing me training programs and things like that to put our engineers through. I am about a quarter of the way down in the blog post, mm -hmm. Operating in Operations. There's a section called uh, A Week in the Life. And <laughs> yeah. there are nine major elements. Sales, uh, I'm going to just really read them off as, as fast as I can. Sales leads, yeah. weekly review, weekly ops meetings, active projects, one-on-one -on -one director meetings, one-on-one -on -one team meetings, one-on-one -on -one with a CEO. My God, that must be painful. Leadership meeting, project profitability, HR-related work. Nine major things that you do every single week. Is there one that is one that's constantly moving, one that's like you, you're always trying to really wrangle in or something that you're like, man, this, this is a tough one. And maybe it's even something that one day you look at and say, there should be somebody else doing this thing. And also, for those of you listening, if you read this blog post, the, the, I, I rattle off nine different things, but there's this whole explanation that goes with all of this stuff. You should definitely check it out. But back to the question, Lisa, is there one of these nine that is just maybe the most challenging for you on a, on a week to week basis? Oh, <clears throat> that's a good question. Probably our leadership meeting brings the most challenge to me. That is a meeting that starts at the top of the day on Wednesdays, usually runs for about an hour and a half long. We have myself and Brad are on that call, but then all of our directors, we have a director of engineering, business dev, PMO, which is project management, client support, which is our maintain WP support department, and a director of operations. So we have five directors, myself and Brad, on that call. That call is really where we, we work out a lot of different things in that call, from process to challenging projects to personnel issues on HR, uh, a lot of different policy and process comes out of that leadership meeting. And because I'm in operations, my focus is more kind of the internal day-to-day -day workings of the company. So I am constantly like got my radar out for areas that I feel need refinement in terms of maybe a process or a workflow, something that needs to be improved. So then I'm thinking of 
who are the who are the individuals that are going to help me with that initiative and put together like meetings that come after the leadership meeting. There are a lot of things that get quote parking lot parking lotted in that meeting, which means there's not enough time in this meeting to discuss the things that we that come up. So we parking lot them and then we create a new meeting that contains the people that can really help solve an issue or lead an initiative, that type of thing. That meeting is constantly like a moving target for me, but I really like it because everything that comes out of that meeting really communicates to me where our challenges are, where our successes are, where our risks are. So that, that, that's an incredibly important meeting. Uh, at the start of this conversation, we're looking at the 2018 interview that we did or presentation that you did and sort of like, again, being hyper-focused on maximizing profits of a project. When you look at this blog post and, and hear what you just had to say about expanding your breadth of responsibility as a COO uh, three mm -hmm. years later, obviously we can, from just on paper, we can see the magnitude of how your role has changed in these, in these last three years to this level of, of responsibility and the challenges that you face. Yeah. Who do you turn to? to learn and and just either do you have a mentor in the CEOO space do you have your own education that you turn to to get these to sharpen these these talents that you have i yes to all of the above i i read a lot i am constantly consuming information about business so i do read a lot about operational leadership and operational management just like on Inc.com or Forbes.com. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn in sort of the operational CEO kind of vertical over there. And so I do a lot of reading. That's number one. Number two, I listen to podcasts. Of course, I listen to the Matt Report constantly, like repeat. On yes, repeat. you just tell Amazon Alexa to play it and it just plays. I, and on repeat too. So I'll listen right. to multiple episodes several times. But, you know, there's a couple of podcasts that I'm subscribed to on Spotify. One is called Views from the C-Suite, I think it's called. And another one is C-Suite Intelligence. That's another one I listen to. Crisp Cuts from the C-Suite is another spot, uh, pod, podcast that I listen to. So I do listen to a lot of business sort of executive related podcasts, and that helps me a lot. Another person in my life is my husband who runs his own business. Now, he's not a CEO, but he is a CTO of his own business. And him and I talk a lot back and forth. He's learned a lot from me. I think I learned a lot from him in terms of running business, dealing with people, process, workflow, all of those things. I'm constantly getting tips from him on things like tooling. And when I find a cool tool, I'll share it with him. So he's a huge sort of mentor and source of information for me. And then one last person, and, and I'll name drop here, Heather Brunner over at WP Engine. She's been a really valuable resource to me. She's the CEO at WP Engine. I really admire her a lot for the work that she does with WP Engine and how she's grown it since she became CEO. And she's just so willing to always share her knowledge and just sit down and have a conversation um, about whatever is on your mind or a question that you have. She's so willing to help and just really be a mentor. And she's she is one person that I speak with frequently. How have you, and you highlight some of this stuff in the, in the next section in uh, the article, people watching and people listening, there, there's lots of things at play here. And, and, and for the last year, there's been this global pandemic, which has untold impacts on, on everyone, not just, not just, hey, I'm running an agency that's remote. 
that's a challenge already, right? <laughs> that's like we're yeah. growing an agency. It's all remote. When you think back again, three years ago, 10 years ago, when you all formed the company or, if, or just over 10 years, whatever mm-hmm. it's been. Like that's a challenge onto itself. Then you layer on top explosive growth, uh, hiring, firing, people leaving, this COVID thing. It's super challenging. Are, are there tools or mechanisms in place for you to, to keep everyone uh, as excited as you possibly can to, to be part of the team? I know you all used to do the, well, you will do it again one day, but you had the all hands, you'd rent a house or a castle or something like that, and then yeah. you'd all get together. Yeah. How, have, how have, you, have you weathered all of this COVID storm? Oh, uh, just like everybody else, it's a challenge. I feel like we had the remote work environment sort of, we had that nut cracked already. So that gave us an advantage. That put us in a unique position to help some of our clients who weren't used to working remote. We didn't charge for that service. Not like we were like, hey, COVID consultants over here. But it gave us the opportunity to reach out to our clients and say, what can we help with? We've got some great tools, some great communication, some great insight into working remotely. How can we help you? So that's been that's been really great in terms of cementing relationships with clients that we have. COVID, it, man, it was just interesting for everybody. When when things started shutting down, I think early March, end of February, early March 2020, I had just come back from Austin. I was visiting WP Engine down there. And I think it was February 28th. I had a mask in my purse, but I wasn't wearing it yet because it wasn't required. And we weren't really quite sure what COVID was doing. But then things shut down. We did lose a couple of contracts right off the bat. One of our contracts was with the NBA. (laughs) So that weekend that they announced that they were canceling their regular season, we knew that Monday morning we were going to come in and our contract, uh, our big contract that we were expecting was going to be put on hold, which it was. So I think every company had those struggles, like what's going to happen now. And the scary part to that is nobody knew the answer. Like there's no blueprint for how businesses are going to conduct themselves during a global pandemic. There's no handbook for that. So all we can do is provide leadership internally to our team and say things like, we're here if you need us. Whatever challenges this pandemic brings to you, share it with us. Let us help you. We are in a position to help you. So let's do that. And we don't know from a business standpoint with our clients, what's going to happen. We feel confident in the clients that we have because of the industries that they are in. So those client industries were ones that would thrive in a global pandemic. And I'm talking industries like consumer packaged goods. We have a lot of those clients. Campbell Soup Company is one of our largest consumer packaged goods clients. And we had no reason to think that in in a pandemic that they would they would suffer. And they didn't. They did very, very well. Media, entertainment, online technology, things that seem to be stable in a situation like this. So We kind of gathered that knowledge and gathered all of the data about our clients and brought that to our team. They already knew this stuff, but we brought it to our team in such a way of we're confident in moving forward because of these reasons. And we want you to be confident in moving forward. And in March, we said, you're not losing your job. Nobody is losing their job. We're not cutting back because we're not seeing a pullback. 
And then in April, we came to them again and said, your job is secure. Things are really looking up. By May or June, we realized that we were on track to have probably the best year from a revenue standpoint, profit standpoint, than we've ever had. And that I'm very, very grateful for. And we recognize that that was a privilege to have during this year. And we just wanted everybody at WebDev to also be grateful for that as well. At the same time, we had remote workers who were struggling with kids being home from school because schools were closing across the country. And now all of a sudden, you've got these parents at home who are used to working at home, but not used to working at home with kids there. And add that, add on the heavy burden that they have of educating their children because a lot of these kids were in virtual schools. So we had to put things in place like flexible work hours, making sure that the parents were able to do what they needed to do without losing their minds and still be able to do their job and get their paycheck. Like all of these things are first and foremost on a parent's mind. We don't want to lose any of our employees. As a mother, I can say that if it during a pandemic and educating my children and, and doing a job, like my children are always going to come first. But we also wanted them to be able to balance that with the work that they were doing at WebDev and how could we make that happen. And being flexible with each individual person based on what their individual needs are became like my focus for the entire year. Mine and April's, our director of operations, and Julie, our employee experience coordinator, we just all really worked together to make sure that we were touching base with everybody. Everybody was doing okay. What did they need? Did they need to flex their time? Do they need to start later in the morning, work later at night, like work on the weekends and take a couple of days off during the week? Like, what is it that's going to work for you? Because not everybody's situation is the same. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's great that that WebDev is a, is able to weather that. We I've saw just from Twitter alone and talking to other people, smaller agencies that that when these big contracts canceled, that it it put them under right. And I mean, boutique yeah. agencies, a two three freelancer shop, that kind of thing. When you saw that, when you realized sort of mid last year that things were going up, was in terms of maybe having one of the 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 best years ever for web dev. Mm -hmm. Was that because you had existing clients that were now doubling down on this thing called the web, or did you have or was it a mix of new business coming in that were able to survive through COVID and say, hey, we need these projects and we need them now because people yeah. can't walk through our doors anymore? Yeah, I, I would put that at about 70-30, 70% existing clients who were doubling down on what they were doing online and 30% like new business. And the new business in in a pandemic is is hard because it's an investment that you typically need to make up front. And by upfront, like if it's a $50,000 project build, that money comes due within the next two to six months. And in a pandemic where we're shut down for a year, that's a hefty ask. So it was harder to get new business, I think, because it, it agencies are competitive. We might have, we might have estimated or, or provided a quote that was a couple thousand dollars more than the next agency and we would lose that contract because a couple thousand dollars meant a lot during this time. So I think new business was a challenge for sure. Existing business, they already had the relationship, they already had the trust with us. 
we had several of our existing clients just kind of double down on their contracts and and really understand that people are online right now. Things need to be stable. They need more options. They need more features. They need whatever it is that brings them to their website. This is maybe a tricky question to answer. Has agency life in the WordPress space I'm going to make my assumption first. Has it? I feel like it has probably at this point now got even more competitive with sort of top WordPress talent. And if that's true, how, how do you? I know you don't. There's no blueprint for this either, or no perfect answer. But how do you emotionally deal with employees that just churn away? Hey, you thought everything was great, like you, you had a great relationship, and they and they leave. This is something that. When I ran my agency, we were tiny, right? Five people at a time. And when one person left, like we could literally, we could see it and feel it coming because we were all in the same room every day. How mm-hmm. do you, you know, emotionally deal with it? Do you have procedures in place when, when people come and go? And is it as competitive as I think it is? It is and it isn't. It really depends on on the employee. Strangely enough, and, and I say strangely because I think that this is maybe rare in our sort of technology agency space. But we have several, several engineers who have good longevity at WebDev. And I'm talking, they've been with us four, five, six, seven. We've got some people eight to 10 years at WebDev Studios. So yes, when they leave, it, it, it I'm not going to say that I like crawl into a corner and cry, but it's hard. It's hard when they leave because we put a lot of emphasis on culture. At Web Dev Studios, we invest a lot into our employees. We talked about that continuing education piece and really trying to grow our engineers. So if you've spent a lot of time sort of curating that engineer, for lack of a better word, and then they take all of that and go somewhere else, yeah, it's a hit. But it depends really on what they're chasing. Are, are they chasing a higher salary? Can we compete with that? We'll always, I'm always open to hearing engineers when they're leaving, like, why are you leaving? Is there something that we can do? What could be done? Is it a matter of salary? Is it a matter of benefits? Like, let's talk. So we do have those conversations with the engineers. Sometimes engineers, they're kind of fickle people. They get tired or burnt out of the type of work they're doing. So if you've got an engineer who's leaving and they just want to get out of WordPress, we can't compete with that because that's what we do. So can I talk you into staying in WordPress? Well, not really if you're burnt out. And in that case, it's like, good luck. Let's let's keep the door open and not burn that bridge. And maybe you'll find an affinity for WordPress a couple of years down the road. Um, so that's our process, really. People come and go. And that's just reality. I don't take it as personally as I did like 10 years right. ago, where I was yeah. like, what do you mean you're leaving me? Yeah, and I guess that's sort of what I was getting at because it's largely the way that I felt when I had first started my company and then sort of experiencing it as an employee at a 40 to 50-ish person company. Experiencing for the very first time seeing somebody leave or somebody getting fired. I was like, wow, I was like, why, why, why is this happening? And then uh, I have to remind myself like, yeah, th- this stuff happens and and okay. sometimes it's a, it's a little bit of a reset, uh, a good reset, for lack of a better word, for the company. Because yeah, it you're is. able to kind of learn what people did, <laughs> like what, what was it that they were doing? <laughs> and now we can maybe take a different tack. One of the bigger challenges to people leaving, whether they are leaving voluntarily or involuntarily, is the impact that it has on the team overall. And I think 
communication for me is important. It's important for us to let people know that people are leaving, for example, because it's horrible when you log into work the next morning and it's like, what do you mean this person isn't here? What happened? You always want people to feel like they know what's going on and this was an important enough thing to inform you about because you work with this person. And and then there's always a lot of questions of why did that person leave? What's happening to the company? You want to make sure that people feel at ease with what's going on without at the same time disclosing personal details or details that really shouldn't be exposed in terms of why a person left or especially if it was an involuntary dismissal. You don't want to disclose that information, but you do want people to be at ease that maybe this person was let go involuntarily, but that doesn't mean we're closing our doors. Like that there was a reason for it to happen and business wasn't one of them. So Right. Right. Final question as we wrap up here. How does WebDev approach the 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 rapid change of of WordPress and the enhancements of Gutenberg? Again, three years ago, we were just on the the sort of the 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 rollout of of Gutenberg being just about anyway I, I think just about the Gutenberg being in core WordPress. Mm-hmm. How have you, if at all, like positioned yourself with customers because your customers they're not building the website just for today or even for the next year. They're like we're building this project. It's probably going to be an investment for the next three years before we reinvest a bunch of money again into yeah. this technology. I'd imagine. So how do you position yourself with this rapid change? We're now looking at full site, full site editing or full site page editing. I forget what the title is for mm-hmm. WordPress. Of course, Gutenberg version 10, WooCommerce constantly changing. Yeah. Like, is there something you do to position the, the web dev portion of your solution to say, now this is going to last. This is the long-term support, right? If I were to steal a word from or phrase from uh, Linux operating systems, they have the cutting edge one that updates every, whatever, six months, every year. Then they mm-hmm. have long-term support, which is going to be something that doesn't get all of the updates for whatever it is, five years. Right. How do you position yourself so that your customers aren't like, oh my God, what's this new Gutenberg feature? What's this full site editing uh, or do you not? Or do customers want that bleeding edge technology? Customers usually, by and large, don't really know about it. Some of them do. Some of them come to us and they're like, we must use Gutenberg. We don't want the classic editor. As Gutenberg was rolling out as a company, we needed to make a decision. What are we going to support right now? And in the very beginning, we made the decision not to support Gutenberg because it wasn't stable in the very beginning of Gutenberg. Like it wasn't stable. So we're going to use classic editor. And if our clients want Gutenberg, we will have conversations with them about why we feel it's not currently stable and the decisions that we've made as an, as an agency to not support it yet. But when we made the decision to support it, now we're Gutenberg first. We don't use anything but Gutenberg. In the interim, we used advanced custom fields and we were able to build blocks with advanced custom fields that were Gutenberg-ish. Not really Gutenberg at all, but kind of Gutenberg-ish. And now we're full Gutenberg. So we as an agency, and I would imagine most agencies are the same, need to look at the technology and make a decision on what are we going to prioritize based on, and you have to base it on the skills and the talent and experience that you have on your bench. You don't want to go Gutenberg first and and just go whole hog on Gutenberg if you don't have JavaScript devs on your team. (laughs) You're not going to do well. So we really had to build up. We had to really embrace that, learn JavaScript deeply and invest in our engineers and hire engineers that had that experience 
before we could say we're Gutenberg first, we build custom blocks for you, we can we can make all this happen. We needed to be confident that the skills were in place and that we were solid there first. So I think it I think it starts with the decision just internally as an agency. What do you want to support? Yeah. And how are we going to approach that? And if we want to get from A to B, what steps do we need to put in place to get there? Any quick feelings on on where the, the project is going as a whole in terms of Gutenberg and full site editing? Do you see it as like this? You look at where Elementor is today as just blazing past every other every other page builder for better or for worse. Like do you any quick thoughts on on this what WordPress looks like in a couple of years? You, you since you're writing the books on this stuff, you, you might be concerned a little bit. Is this going to be this sort of Adobe Photoshop full suite solution in the, in a couple of years where you're going to be doing everything as an end user or what? Good God, let's hope not. <laughs> I mean, no, I think it, it goes the way of, of Elementor. I think it will eventually give Elementor a run for its money, but there's a long way to go. Elementor is is pretty smooth. I've used it. The problem that I have with builders like that, though, is that it it really gives end users too many options. And I know that sounds that's like the developer in me, right? Like I've seen uh, and have built like Beaver Builder, Elementor type sites for clients that are two months later, the site ends up looking completely different than what I built it, and just really bad. Because there are so many options and decisions that are given to the end user for everything from padding to margin to borders to animation and all points in between that I don't necessarily like those builders for that reason because it gives users too many options to screw things up. But that's me talking from an enterprise standpoint. Like, when I'm dealing with in the enterprise world, you've got marketing teams who are going in there and they just want to build out this content and have this landing page and boom, go. But you always run the risk with like a builder that some marketing person is going to get in there and sow their creative oats and start doing all this stuff that the builder allows them to do. And then pretty much they end up with a site that's not anywhere near what the original plan was. So I think Gutenberg is going to need to try and find a balance between those two things if if they're going to be successful with it. For me, from an agency standpoint, we're all about headless right now. And uh, that's that, that's just taking off. And now, now yeah. I just recently uh, published an episode with the founder of Stratic, Miriam uh, Schwab. And that's just like a massive opportunity in, in her space as like a hosting company, having Jason Ball from WP GraphQL. It's amazing what what that layer of technology can do far beyond my means of understanding. But it's 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 crazy. Like the, the good thing is as much criticism as I give WordPress is because because I want to see WordPress succeed and not become this this thing that is just like an app that you install and it's just done. <laughs> like I like WordPress because it can be the engine to so many different things like headless solutions. Yeah. I, I just hope that that kind of thing survives. But the, the good news is, is like this damn thing keeps growing. And like it, <laughs> if it keeps growing, I, it's, it, it is opportunity for all of us. And at the end of the day, I guess, I guess we can't complain with that. We really can't. Matt, you and I have known each other for how many years now. I've I'm in this 14 years. I've yep. I've built 
my entire career around this, at least the last half of my career around this. So yeah, you have to appreciate what what WordPress brings to the table. I think from just speaking headless technology and all of that, WordPress is, is going to stay. Even if it's a secondary CMS, building out that kind of content management piece for these decoupled experiences there are other content management like Contently is out there, but nothing gives you the experience that WordPress gives you, especially with the Gutenberg editor. That whole writing experience is by far superior to something like Contently or what other people might be using for these React JavaScript front ends. WordCamp Chicago 2013 is when you and I first met. Really? Yes. Wow. Really? I would have yeah. thought it was sooner than that. I, I, we probably knew each other on on Twitter, but I remember, and I, and I might have said told this story on the last time you were on the show, but you did a presentation. This is before WebDev, or maybe it was just at the, at the moment what you joined WebDev, but you did a presentation. You talked about one of your clients, Not Your Average Joes. Oh, yeah. And... Not Your Average Joe's, the founder of Not Your Average Joe's, used to buy cars from my family's dealership when my family ran a dealership. He lived in the same town Very I grew cool. up in. And yeah, I remember was- like approaching you and being like, hey, I know Not Your Average Joe's. And you're like, great. And then, <laughs> then you just kept walking. I was like, oh, there goes my chance. No, I'm sure I had a conversation with you about it. Yeah, Not Your Average Joe's was, that was before I joined WebDev. It was one of my eWebscapes clients. And I used that in a presentation on discovery and research and why doing that sort of strategy and planning up front before laying down a single line of code is so important. Thanks for joining the show today. It's always great to catch up on audio and not just text message. Where can folks find you to say thanks? Oh, Lisa Sabin Wilson on Twitter. You can say thanks there. Everybody else, Mariport.com, Mariport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list. New podcast coming soon, the WP Minute at the WPMinute.com. Every time I launch a new audio project, I get sick. I was supposed to record a bunch of episodes this week, and my kids gave me a cold. Just getting over it. It's not COVID. So now that project's, of course, delayed a little bit. But it'll be out there soon, the WPMinute.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.